Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of MTG Rants. I'm Tanny Grace, as always joined by Ross Merriam. Just us two this week. But we're going to be going over a lot of the preview cards for March of the Machines, because yet another preview season's going on right now. A ton of cards all happening at once, Ross. Plus, we finally know what battles are. So that's what we're going to be getting into today. We're going to find out what those cards do, how they interact. They look pretty good to me. I don't know about so far with you, but uh, this set looks really powerful, and all the cards have a lot of words on them. Yeah, I've had a very hard time trying to even wrap my head around a lot of the cards in this set. Same. I know what I think. I feel like we say that every set, but this one is sure. particularly egregious in how wordy the cards are. And has anyone beat? Wasn't it? Was it? Um, what was the storybook set? Uh, I literally just blanked on this. The one uh, held the fans. Throne of Eldraine. Yeah, wasn't that the wordiest set of all time? Has anyone beat that yet? I uh, yeah, I'm not sure, but oh, the... this one's definitely in the running. Yeah. And then obviously, like, you know, with a new card type, it's going to be pretty difficult to evaluate them <laughs> with uh, with battles. So, uh, yeah, one, yeah, a ton of stuff to talk about. Yeah, one thing that I'm always worried about when we get the new card type, I think you've heard me talk about this before on the show, and I've said this before, there's been some truisms about cards being too good or banned in the history of Magic, and it always follows like one of two things. One is artifact sets almost always have something get messed up. You know, one thing's one notch too powerful, etc., however you want to say it, and it gets banned. Or, two, whenever a new card type is entered into Magic or something that they're going to push, um, when the new ones come out, they want them to be playable. Like, they want you to have impact with these cards. So, like, when Battles came out, like, when Equipment came out, like, when Planeswalkers came out, something like that, there's all, you know, uh, Equipment, stuff like that. There's almost always been, like, one, right? This isn't 100% true, but there's always one that you're like, uh, maybe this one was a little too good. You know, and so, like, I don't know if we're going to have a banned battle, you know, kind of thing. But, you know, if one of them just proves to be an effort deck, I think I could see that. But uh, we'll have to see when we take a look at some of these units. We're just like, oh, my God, this is so good kind of thing. But I'm hoping that we don't have anything like that happen this time. They're, they've gotten better, you know, over time. But it is a general truism that's happened through the history of Magic. We go back and look at a lot of the bannings and when new stuff has happened. Yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of artifact sets breaking things. Yeah, he makes stuff just really easy to cast. <laughs> or yep. or would they make any kind of cost reduction? That's another one, too. Like, Phyrexian Mana, which is back, or Delve, or something like that. You're like, yeah, this yeah. is a cool Cascade. Mechanic, but yeah, what's, free spells. What's, what's the meme? Uh, how many times do I have to teach you this lesson, old man? Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, we, we, we see this happen all the time, or whatever. But speaking of that, let's just go ahead and get into it. Uh, what were some of the cards you were, like, super excited about you wanted to talk about? I haven't had a chance to read through the entire spoiler that we've gotten so far. You and I both, when we started doing the, the pre-show for this, you're like, whoa, there's a lot of cards. I was like, yeah, yeah, I didn't expect this many. Yeah. I, I'm just going to start from the beginning with Archangel Elspeth, uh, one of the earliest cards previewed from the set. Sure. Uh, and scroll know, down to that one. Planeswalkers, they're cool. Mm -hmm. uh, but they two are. white starts with four loyalty, has a plus one. Let's create a one one white soldier creature token with lifelink. Minus two, put two plus a plus one counters on target creature. It becomes an angel in addition to its other types and gains flying. And then minus six, return all non-land permanent cards with mana value three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. Can I say something that bothers me about this card right away? What? There's one thing that bothers me about it. I don't know if you caught this. Maybe it doesn't, it doesn't do put this. the flying counter? Yes. Because, like, look, maybe it doesn't have the space on the card for the extra words. I don't know. But we've been doing that in the last, what, five since Ikoria. We've been like, this. it gives this a counter. So, like, you could physically put it on that. It's easy for players to remember, oh, there's there's something on this. Why is there a penny on my card? Oh, because it's got flight. It's not an angel. It's got flying. Or it's got first strike. Whatever. Uh, now, you're just going to have to remember for the rest of the game, if you're not playing Arena, you know, if you're playing in the Paper Realm, this thing's got flying. It's going to lead to some weird spots in games. Especially in the Limited, where, like, the boards get more cluttered. And you're like, oh, yeah. wait, did you, did this, okay, so this has two plus plus one stuff. so, like, it probably has flying. But, like, I can I can see that being a problem somewhere. Oh, definitely. Um, Other than that, card's sweet. Yeah, I love this in aggressive decks. I think, you know, being able to press your advantage or play a little bit of a longer game as a top-end threat is great. Um, this card, like a lot of Elspeths, is very good at attacking other Planeswalkers. So if that's important, you know, uh, I always remember the, the plus three, plus three and flying from the, the original Elspeth <laughs> being uh, excellent against other Planeswalkers. And then... You know, very quickly gets into that ultimate range. You know, within two turns, two activations, you can get up to six. And uh, you know, yeah. if it's the top end of your curve, you're probably going to have three, four, five creatures 
uh, maybe even, you know, various Oblivion Ring effects, uh, because it's all non-land permanents. You mean value stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, wedding announcement, if somehow it got blown up, could be in your graveyard. Yeah, lots of really cool stuff here. I love the homage to, like, uh, was it Night... Uh, uh, night. What, what's the, the 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 original format of Elspeth that was really good? The one you're talking about, it's like Errant, Night Errant, yeah, Night Errant, yeah. I like the homage to that. It kind of has like that exact feel to it with the first two abilities, very very similar kind of stuff. And I can see this one doing a lot of things, like you're saying, like really good aggressive decks is like a curve topper to kind of like have that staying power, but it gives you the ability to fight long. So I like this card a lot. Yeah, I'm I'm in on it for sure. I mean, I could even see like you know sideboarding this in you know humans and pioneer uh -huh. yeah and it, it's a thing that in standard i think it's gonna probably there's a good chance that's gonna have a really big day in the sun at some point in time in standard maybe not right away because it is contending with a lot of other uh your curve toppers like you know you've got uh the wandering emperor and stuff like that you know some other four mana planeswalkers that are really good it just depends on which one fits your deck better but this this card is definitely a player yeah this one's definitely more aggressively uh -huh. you know slanted uh where wandering emperor is more mid-range control slanted so it should be pretty clear which one your deck wants okay uh where do you want to go to next next i've got ren and realm breaker on uh, another you know early preview of the set and another really powerful planeswalker uh, one green green starts on four loyalty. So three mana planeswalker starting on four, very high. Uh, has a static ability of lands you control have tap at one mana of any color. And then plus one up to one target land you control becomes a three three elemental creature with vigilance, hexproof, and haste until your next turn. It's still a land. Notably, it does not untap that land. That's so the this, big thing for me here. Yes. So yeah. Um, I definitely thought, I just kind of assumed it did yeah, because it's an you're so used to it. Yeah. And if it untaps the card, I think would be utterly absurd. It has like the Nissa ability, you know, like all the times we've seen Planeswalkers like untap a land before or do something to a land to animate it, it usually gives them haste. But being a three mana walker, this kind of makes sense that yeah. way. Yeah. Then uh, minus two, mill three cards. You may put a permanent card from among the milled cards into your hand. And then... Minus seven, you get an emblem with you may play lands and cast permanent spells from your graveyard. Um, I mean, starting on four loyalty is really high, so you just don't foresee this card dying a whole lot. Um, that said, you you also don't want to cast this on turn three and use the plus one. It just doesn't really do much of anything, so you're almost always casting it in minus twoing. Um, you know... So, which leaves it not too loyalty and a lot more vulnerable. Um, if you think of it more as a four mana planeswalker, where you're going to cast it and then attack with the land that you animate, how much better does that look? You know, it's it's going up to I, five loyalty. You get a three three. You can like get some value. Are you as weird on this card as I am? Like, I can't decide. Like, sometimes I read it, I'm like, okay, and sometimes I read it, I'm like, okay, you know, like and. On Twitter, I saw a lot of people freaking out about this and having the same kind of reactions. I saw a lot of people saying, like, oh, this is the best card I've seen so far. And some people were like, I don't get it. Like, I don't get the <laughs> hype. And for me, you know, I had somebody immediately message this to me, like on Facebook Messenger. And I was like, oh, is this good? After reading, they're like, yeah, it's broken. And I read it. I'm like, and I read it again, and then I read it again. And I'm like, yeah, I can see this card being good. It's got a ton of loyalty. It immediately goes up to five for a three-man planeswalker. The minus two ability can be pretty good if you use any kind of, like, if you get any kind of value off of it besides just the card you get back as well but it, it, does this just strike you as like a mid-rangey green card because that's kind of how it feels to me yeah when i first read it i you know i made that mistake of assuming that the plus one untapped the land yeah and so i thought it was just great um without that i'm less enthused because you think of it more as a three three haste on turn four not nearly as good as on turn three um you know the, the fact that the mill and return ability doesn't let you select from your entire graveyard like a lot of other similar effects have done, um, is a big oh, deal. Only so, the cards you milled, right, too? Yeah. Oh, wow. So th there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, subtle things that sort of downgrade the card that make me not like it as much. Um, and, uh, you know, I just don't see making a, you know, a, a sort of 3-3 three, three haste with upside being good enough for a, what is effectively a 4-mana card. Now, there is that static ability too. So if you're playing it in a more, you know, multicolor deck and it's also this incredible mana fixer, 
maybe that puts it over the top. So maybe you want to play, you know, that said, it is also a double green card for turn three if you're playing a multicolored deck. But if you're like base green with a lot of splashes, it could enable some cool stuff like that. Yeah, sure. I can see that. Uh, let's let's stay on theme. We'll go ahead and read off the uh, the red planeswalker that we got for this set, if that's okay with you. This is Chandra. Sure. Uh, is that Hope's Beacon? I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the full art. It's got like stuff over the word. I'm assuming that's Hope's Beacon. Uh, four red red for, for so four and two red for a five level two planeswalker. It has a static, so whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, copy it. You may choose new targets for the copy. The ability triggers only once each turn. Got a plus two. Add two mana in any combination of colors. Plus one. Exile the top five cards of your library until the end of your next turn. You may cast instant or sorcery spells or among them, uh, those exiled cards. And then it's got a minus X. Chandra's X damage to, to each of up to two targets. This is an expensive Planeswalker, Ross. A very expensive one. But... If there's some kind of like, is it blue red spells ish deck or whatever colors it needs to be in standard, I can see a deck playing one or two of these as like your big haymaker. Considering that a lot of the times when like, you know, you're like, go on like turn five or whatever, right? You have to man up, be like, counterspell something, maybe kill something in play. Whatever they've got left, you're like, play my Chandra plus two it up to seven, add two mana, like use my two mana removal spell or whatever, or like if it's in white, like my ostification or something like that, which you don't want to fill your deck up with too many non-instance sorceries, but like you're like, you know, play my two mana, you know, the lightning strike variant or whatever in this format, kill your last thing. Now I've got the seven loyalty planeswalker in play. And if I get to untap with this, you're in big trouble. Not to mention he gets the copy of the thing immediately and you get a new copy. So you can just kill two things as well, right? So you yeah. can get instant value kill two little things or one big thing yeah so originally i was like oh man six mana for this for something that might not you know you need more that like this card is a combo card it needs a card with it generally right away like you could play it and x all the top five cards your library it's it's the end of your next turn so you can kind of play it as like a showdown of the skulls type thing but like that's kind of dangerous you're like leaving your chandra up and like hoping it works i mean there's situations where that's gonna be right but i'm coming around to this card a little bit also, the oh. minus X does a pretty good job, too. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan, and, like, you know, if you, you know, play it, and your opponent has two threats, and you don't have the removal spell to cast out the plus two, oh, you can just get your immediate value, you know, minus yeah. three, minus four, kill two different things, um, and... and I mean, even if you have minus five, even if you have to, like, pay six mana to kill their two threats, because the threats are pretty big yeah. these days. Like, because, like, this can kill you older plus something for six mana, and, like, if you've got to do that, you've got to do that. Yeah, and that, and that's fine. I, I think the card is very good. Um, the, the fact that the static triggers on, uh, once each turn, so you can cast a spell on your turn, get, copy it, pass, cast an instant on their turn, copy that's, it. That's a really good catch, by the way. Yeah, it is a big deal. I think the, the numbers are formatted well for the card. Like you said, it can, it can kill Shieldred as a high loyalty if you plus it. You know, you're, you're gonna play in a deck with a lot of good two mana interaction, so that you know you immediately get value. That's an easy solve from from a deck building perspective, and it really does everything. Eh? I, I can't imagine like everything I'm looking for out of an expensive planeswalker yeah. to take over a game. You know the immediate value, the versatility where I can uh, directly answer things. I can add mana to you know cast more stuff, or I can dig for stuff if I don't have it. Like, can you imagine like playing this card? getting to untap with it, and then you, like, plus it for mana, and you play your, like, concentration variant. You know, just whatever your card draw variant yeah. is, and you're just like, all right, refill, refill my entire hand. Or even just, like, anticipate. Like, literally anything, Ross. And then you get an instant to play during their turn. I'm I'm loving this card. I'm, I, I, if I play a lot of standard, I'm playing a lot of this card. I'm pretty sure this card's yeah. good. Especially in like this standard environment where everybody's playing these kind of dopey mid range decks that go really yeah. long. Like, yeah. Obviously, you know, it's a lot of Grixis decks. They play Disdainful Stroke and Negate in the sideboard, uh, make Disappear in the main. It's going to be hard sometimes to resolve a six mana spell through a counter spell, but there are not that many counters. And this card is going to dominate basically every game. Yeah. Also, <laughs> also, I'm assuming this is going to be in some kind of red blue deck, right? That's like the yeah. first thing that comes to your mind, right? And like, You've played formats where stuff like they've had big plays like Sphinx's Revelations into Elspeth and stuff like that. And like, how many times do you, you know, you play the game where like you're holding up your one counter spell and you're trying to hold on to a game. And at the end of your turn, they're like, I'm going to rev for five or whatever with four cards already in their hand. And you're like, well, 
I'll counter this in hope and pray, but if they have anything <laughs> behind this, I'm so far behind. So, like, there's going to be scenarios where you can play around. You know, I played a lot of the uh, the back-and-forth draw-go decks like that back in my day, and this is a card that it's six mana, again, yes, but it's going to fit well into those decks that they can go remotely long. Yeah, it's going to, you know, really just a game-breaker in the kind of attrition-y games that Standard has been about. And <laughs> I... Ross, this we, is totally my shit. Yeah, we've we've seen a lot of six mana planeswalkers that like read kind of powerful, but at six Man. mana, it's just yeah. not quite there. Man. This one, I think, reads above that threshold. Um, you know, it, it's in that like Elspeth Sun's champion range of power level. If I was still in the in the uh, in the game of like, hey, you know, this card seems like it's it's low on price, and like you can maybe buy some and make some money. Like if you, if you like to do that every set, I know some people they're like, I like to spec one card every set and just buy like ten up or whatever. If this one's at a low enough price, there's a chance that at some point in time to standard that this gets, becomes a good deck and just doubles in price right away. If There's your financial corner that you get usually like once an episode kind of thing. <laughs> All right, do you want to go to the Praetors for the next cards? Sure. All right, cool. So the first one, we got another Elish Norn. Uh, this one a little bit more uh, cost-efficient than some of the original ones. This one is just Elish Norn, by the way. The name of it, Elish Norn. Simple. Uh, two white-white, legendary creature, Praetor, blah, 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 blah. Three, it's a 3-5 of Vigilance, so already pretty decent. Right. Uh, whenever a source an opponent controls deals damage to you or a permanent you control, that source controller loses two life unless they pay one. So like your stuff just has like ward one lose two life, which is really cool. Like all of your stuff, and then it's got another ability: two and a white, sacrifice three other creatures, exile Elish Norn, then return it to the battlefield transformed under its owner's control. Activate only as a sorcery. And here's where the card gets wild. Right. So it transforms. It transforms into a saga. Now, Ross, bear with me, because this saga is busted, okay? Um, it's a normal saga. It doesn't have read ahead or anything like that. So the first one says, incubate two five times, then transforms all the incubate uh, tokens you control. Now, for everybody at home, incubate two means you get, uh, how does this work? It's like a zero, zero thing with two plus and plus no, one counters. So, so you get an artifact that has two, two plus and plus one counters, and, and then the ability two. to pay two and make it into a zero, zero, zero creature. Zero. Okay. Yeah, that's exactly how it works. So you get five of those. Uh, your second ability. Creatures you control get plus and plus one and gain double strike until end of turn. Now, I'm right in the fact that, like, if you play this, you're like, tapping out for this this turn to do this. When the second chapter goes on the, on onto uh, the stack, you just, like, activate all your incubated tokens, no, right? The, the transform is activating them all. So the, f the first chapter oh, the first is part making part them all into creatures. Okay, yeah, right, right, right. So uh, if you along have more, with all of your other sure. incubators, sure. if you have more. And then the third part... Destroy all other permanents except for artifacts, lands, and Phyrexians. Okay? And then you exile this and return to the battlefield face up. So it goes back as Elish Norn, and you'll yeah. probably still have fodder left over to do it again if you need <laughs> to do it. So in long games, like, think you could, like, you know, like, Naya mid-range back in the day when you used to, like, run creatures into it. If you ever played this and, like, they didn't kill it and you got to transform it, you're going to win the game eventually. It might take a few turns, but you're going to go back and forth on this a lot. It's kind of like the green-black days. Remember we used to play green-black and standard against each other? And, yeah. like, it would just be throwing giant plays at each other? This kind of card would have just busted that wide open. Yeah, the 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 saga on the backside is incredibly powerful. Yes. Um, that said, you know, I think it's a bit win more. You know, if you're untapping with your four drop, you have three creatures to sacrifice to it. Uh, obviously, this card's going to have a huge head on it, uh, a huge target on its head. I mean, um, it, it does actually have a huge head. I don't know if you've seen yeah. Elish Norn. She has that gigantic thing. Like, I, I want to say it's a crown, but I think it's just part of like her skull. I don't know. I don't know either. But yeah, you should ask the cosplayers. They probably know. If if you get to the point where you're triggering the uh, the saga, I think yeah. uh, I think you're going to win the game. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's just a question of whether you get there. Speaking of uh, Predators that turn into Sagas, let's talk about the blue one. We've got Jin Kataxis. This is three blue-blue for, you know, Legendary Creature for X and Predator. This one's a 5-5 five, five for 5, and it's got Ward 2, so already liking some of this. Uh, whenever you cast a non-creature spell mana value 3 or greater, draw a card. Liking that so far. 3 of blue. Exile Jin Kataxis, then return it to the battlefield transformed under its owner's control. Activate always a sorcery, and only if you have 7 or more cards in hand. So this, this one's a little difficult to transform. Again, another possible win more spot, right? All right. So this saga has, uh, for the first one, draw a card equal to the number of cards in your hand. 
You have no maximum hand size for as long as you control the Great Synthesis. That's the name of the saga. Uh, two, return all non-Phyrexian creatures to their owner's hand. So it's going to heave your opponent a lot of the times. And then three, you may cast any number of spells from your hand without paying their mana cost. And then you exile this and return it to the battlefield face up. Ross, these are really powerful. Yeah. Once really again, powerful. I think if you're getting to the saga and you trigger all these chapters, you're going to win the game. Because you you have several more when you transform it. So you're in the first chapter, you're drawing seven plus cards. But you're already winning. Like you're yeah, already the game's winning. game's over. Yeah. So, you know, then, then you get to, the, you know, wipe their battlefield effectively. And then you get to cast all of the cards before it goes away and you lose your lack of max of man size. So, yeah, incredibly powerful. It basically does everything. But once again, like, you've got your five drop resolving and living. You have seven cards in hand. Like, you're probably winning that game. <laughs> Yeah, like you're probably in a really good spot, right? All right, where do you yeah. want to go to next? The the pra both these praetors feel very commandery to me. Like they're just yes. like over the top powerful. Yeah. Um, but they're like very overkill for competitive constructed. I can see some spots where maybe like the white wind makes it into some decks and like you know certain matchups happen where like you know the games go really long, etc. Like you get a lot of fodder in some of the white decks with like you know, yeah. token generation. So I can see that possibly with like with Archangel Elspeth with, you know, uh, Wedding Announcement and some of the other Planeswalkers, so, like, I can maybe see Elish Nord. Jin looks a little harder to me to get going than I do. But I will say this, it is a 5-5 five, five for 5 of War 2 that could possibly draw you a lot of extra cards in a game. So, like, that might... That right there as a base might make it somewhat playable, but we'll see. Yeah. War 2 is pr is pretty important in this format. Uh, All right, next, where are we going next? Uh, I want to get into some battles. Okay. Card type... Uh, are you talking about like the the like the the card game where you know you take a card off the deck and I take a card off the deck and whoever's got the highest card wins? That one's called War Tannant. My whole my whole childhood is shattered. Did you, do you actually call it battle? I think somebody I played with called it battle. But yeah, because like it's now that you're war. saying that, I'm pretty sure it's called war. But anyway, yeah. let's just let's just talk about magic cards. Okay. Um. Well, so the alone. first one that they previewed, there's a there's a bunch of battles so far. Notably. Every battle in this set is a siege, which is a subtype of battle. So I don't know exactly what part of it makes it a battle and what's specific to the siege. Um, I think they're being attacked, so they're under yeah, siege. Yeah, like, I think the transform nature is is part of the siege, I guess. Is, that's okay. like because that, so, they, Mero said yeah. that the, that future battles might not have might not be double faced. They're 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 leaving things open. It's kind of like when we had affinity for artifacts, and it wasn't just affinity; it was affinity yeah. for artifacts. You know, like they're like we're get, we're leaving the design space open. I think is, yeah. is a thing here. Uh, do you want to so, start with like the first one that got previewed and kind of like we don't have to go into all of them, yeah. but like we can so, talk about it was Invasion of Zendikar, right? Yes, it was the first one. So I'll, I'll read this everybody, then you can kind of talk about it. So it's three and a green. Um, it has three toughness. I think it. I think it's like defense counters. Sure, like three that. defense. Yeah. Uh, it says, as the siege enters, choose an opponent to protect it. You and others can attack it. When it's defeated, exile it. Then cast it transformed. Okay. Hopefully everyone kept up with that. That's a lot. So this one is three to green for the three defense counters. And then when it enters the battlefield, you get to search your library for up to two uh, basic land cards, put them on the battle tap, and shuffle. So you get an explosive growth when you play this. Explosive vegetation. Sure, explosive vegetation. Uh, when it transforms, it's a 4-4 with Vigilance and Haste. As long as it's on the battlefield, it's a land, it should do its other types, and then it can tap for a mana of any color. Um, these are interesting to me, Ross. And we confirmed this before the show, you can't just attack these, you are allowed to, like, bulk them. You can point a spell yeah. with damage and, at and, them. Yeah, non-combat damage from sources that are, you know, can target anything, this is a legal target. Also, what happens if there's a card that, like, destroys a permanent if you destroy this, it does. It's just gone, right? It doesn't come back. I believe as the other it end. does it, because it's not. It hasn't been defeated. It's it been, hasn't been Yeah, quote unquote. It hasn't taken lethal damage yeah. or whatever. Yeah, sure. You got to remove all the defense counters. Sure. And it's just one for one, right? Like if you attack it with a three three, it's dead. Yes. Okay. Cool. Just for 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 everybody at home, there we go. These are what battles are. You know, a card that we knew was coming because of a, a card in the last set. How are you? How are you feeling about these? Overall, my initial response is like they're cool, maybe commander-ish. We'll have to see what all of them do. Maybe one or two sneak into some constructed play at the right spots. It just matters what the payoffs are, how hard it is to get it done. It's one of those things I'm gonna need to see it played out more to really get a good feel for. It. It's like the first time you saw planeswalkers, you're like, 
okay, well, like how we, we know these are good. Like, yeah. How good? You know, like we need to see how this plays out. And it, I wonder if these are going to immediately make the sub game that Planeswalkers make. That's, that's a big thing for me. Yeah, because you are effectively like, you know, getting a card out of any siege that you defeat, right? You know, mm -hmm. because the transform is going to do something. In this yeah. case, like, you know, a 4-4 vid chase that, you know, adds a mana could potentially like trigger landfall abilities too, since it counts as a land. Um, and, uh, you know, the, you know, that there's real value in that. So to me, th there's a couple things going on in how to evaluate sieges. One, mana cost is a huge deal because if you can get them down and attack them early, you can get a cascading advantage before your opponent's defense is set up. So the, uh, so I'm more inclined to look at the reverse side on the cheap uh, sieges uh, because I think it'll be easier to defeat them. I'm more inclined for more expensive sieges to really just evaluate them as the front side with a bit of a bonus. So in this case, you know, you've got a card that has some standard pedigree in explosive vegetation. Um, you know, saw play back in the day in Onslaught, saw play when mm -hmm. it was reprinted in a core set. There were like, you know, Eldrazi ramp decks. Um, yeah. And this is that with a little bit of upside. Um, I think a lot of the time in de like ramp decks that play this, you're just going to play some giant threat and not really worry too much about getting the 4-4 out of it. But there will be games, you know, where it becomes relevant, almost like a, you know, a Gigantha, you know, as a, as a companion. So, uh, and it just kind of comes along for free. So I do like this card. Not sure if there's a viable ramp deck for it to have a home in standard. Um, the other notable thing with battles and sieges is that you can blink them. So if that's ever relevant, Ooh. so with that, okay. Yeah. You got my attention. You could, you could do some like Yorian nonsense with this, I guess. Eee. Um, and, and start generating an advantage that way. So, uh, yeah, there, I, it's definitely a, you know, a little bit of a wait and see, but that's sort of my framework. Like the ch the cheaper ones, I'm looking at the whole card and seeing, okay, how can I get to that backside and like really press an early advantage? And the bigger ones, are more expensive ones, I'm like, okay, how how good is just the front half of this card? If that's sure. not good enough, then it's probably not gonna you know gonna see any play. Yeah, and we have to see too if there's any like battle enabling cards too. Like, what if there's like reasons to play battles or something? You know what I mean? Like, I, I yeah. doubt there'll be too much of that. I will say this, I think they're going to be super sweet and limited. I am pretty excited about casting these unlimited. Oh, Lots yeah. of value. I think this set is going to, I think this set has a chance to be a very, very good limited set, depending on how impactful some of these like rares and stuff are. But like, because like, you know, the, you know, stuff like when Elish Noir hits the battlefield, if you don't have a removal spell for it, like you're, you're, you're dead. Like <laughs> you are, you are, you are dead. Pick up your cards, go on to the next game or go on to your next match. You know, kind of the, some of these planeswalkers are really cool for limited too. Like I could see myself trying to play Chandra in limited and like having to be good. Same thing with Ren. You know, Elspeth seems busted, but sieges seem like really, really cool. Like saga level stuff for me with some like pretty good upside. So I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, where'd you want to go next? Uh, I just want us to keep talking about these sieges. There's a sure. Edit. Which one? Uh, let's just Tell start the with and stuff too. I'm, I'm a little behind on those. Yeah, let's let's start with a cheap one. This is one of the ones I like quite a bit. Invasion of Ergamon. So it is a it costs a red and a green. Starts with five defense, and uh, when it enters the battlefield, you create a treasure token. Then you may discard a card if you do draw a card. So for two mana, you get you know a, a rummage and a treasure token, and then you get this battle. So pretty clear that you're not going to play this card just for the front side. You need to be consistently attacking it and defeating it, but the backside is a uh, you know Truga Cliff Charger, a three-four Rhino with Trample, and when it enters the battlefield, you may discard a card. If you do, search your library for a land or battle card, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle. So you can sort of keep chaining these. You can find other battles if you're in a like a you know uh, there's a lot of you know green ones that we've seen so far. Uh, you know just really just turning a land into a more relevant spell later in the game is going to be pretty good. Five is a lot, though. This is one that, like, if you're consistently attacking it down, I like it. If you're not, I'm not sure how much I like it. Uh, so you really, it really has to be in the right deck, a very aggressive deck. Um, and this is one I, I've, I, I see potential here, 
but I, you know, without playing it, it's just impossible to know how easy it is to successfully defeat these. And, you know, is it worth it if I'm like using a burn spell for my hand, right? If I have to right. lightning strike this a lot in order to defeat it, now I'm not really up a card. I've just turned my lightning strike into this creature. You know, is that worth it? And then in particular with this invasion, how much does the boost from the treasure token that the front side generates help you in defeating it and realizing the reverse side? No, that's actually like a really good point. I think that's something that's going to happen with a lot of these. You're going to have to weigh the pros and cons of each part of it, right? And then like, how good is its like highest end? Like when it's you know perfectly on curve, like you have this on turn two. Am I ramping into something on turn four, like turn three for four mana that's really really good or powerful? Do I utilize the artifact well? And then is it worth it when I get to the other end of it? And then what's the floor of these? Like some of these are pretty bad top decks where you don't have a lot going on. And that could be a big problem in deck building as well, right? Like, can you imagine you're in, a, you're in a limited game, you're back and forth, and you're, like, slightly behind, but you're, like, a parody, like, I need something, but I, you don't have a lot going on. Like, you, you just trade it off your last creatures, and you, like, draw this, and you're like, what? I don't have an extra card in my hand to discard, you know, to draw the card, so, like, you maybe need to think of that in yeah. your deck building. So it's going to be an interesting, interesting uh, case in deck building and all that kind of stuff along with these cards. So... I'm super interested to see what's going to happen with all of that. Yeah, so. and I think they're they're really cool and limited. Like you said, you know, that choice. Obviously, in the early game, you're going to err towards attacking the siege. You want to get, you know, the, the value out of it. But as the game goes on, if you're in a race, like, can you really afford it? Is yeah. the is the extra, you know, whatever card that you're getting off of the, the siege going to be worth ignoring your opponent's life total for one, two, maybe three turns? So... Um, and then, you know, how, how do you, do you divide attacks? How do they block? Like how aggressively should, or, you know, are you maybe chump blocking as the defender of the siege to, to keep it yeah. uh, from Another transforming? Game. There's, yeah. there's a lot of cool questions. So I agree that like, they're great for limited. And so I, I, I'd be pretty excited to draft this set. Do you want to talk about a couple of the mythic ones that could show up in constructed? Like invasion of Ravnica to me looks like it has a chance to possibly show up in constructed somewhere. Yeah, let's do it. So Vision of Ravnica is a five mana one that's just colorless. And uh, it has four defense. When it enters the battlefield, you exile target non-land permanent that opponent controls that isn't exactly two colors. So something that's not two colors, right? And uh, so this is five mana exile target permanent that you're uh, non-land permanent that your opponent controls. So that's actually pretty decent. This isn't a no ring or anything like that. This just happens. All right. And then we defeat it, it becomes a five, five says whenever you cast a spell that's exactly two colors, look at the top six cards of your library. You may reveal a card that's exactly two colors from among them and put it into your hand, put the rest of the bottom of your library anywhere. So this one's really interesting to me. So, like, it's a colorless one, right? That, like, you, you immediately when I see this, I'm like, oh, is this something I can put in Tron? Or yeah. something like that, right? Is this something I can it use a colorless mana? No, no, no. Here's the thing. You can, right? You can just use this as, like, an exile thing. Oh, and yeah. then, it, like, it, if, if you, you want attack that, sure. it, yeah, it becomes a 5-5, five, five, like, with no ability. Whatever, right? I'm saying, if you want this, right? Not saying you should, right? But, you know, if you want to, you know, do the other side, that's fine. You know, you could trigger this or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But this is one of the ones where this one might show up in some of the Blink stuff, the Blinky decks, because, like, you have two-color cards like Yorion and stuff like that. You Blink this one and start exiling their shit over and over again. Like, I'm I'm, I'm kind of in for that. Like, the, yeah. That seems pretty decent. I also envisioned this card with, um, with Bring to Light, but now that I'm thinking about it, I think Bring the Light specifies different but types that you can find, right? Because they want it to oh, not yes. let you get Planeswalkers. Yes, yes. I think you're completely correct So it there, can't Doug. be a, yeah, it's creature instant or sorcery, so an, you can't get it with Bring to Light, but I'm just thinking, like, in those kind of Niv-Mizzet decks that have a lot of gold cards, you know, maybe uh -huh. this is a cool card you want, but you, you'd have to play it and draw it normally. Because uh -huh. um, I'm I'm trying to synergize with, with the reverse side, but that's probably just me dreaming I... You know, obviously this is a more expensive one, so I should just be thinking on the front side that it's just sort of a, a colorless oblivion ring uh, of sorts, which, yeah, some, some decks might want. It's a good floor. And this, is a, this is a card that in limited you're always playing it. It's always in your deck. Like, oh, yeah. You're, yeah, you're always first picking this in the pack, you know, kind of thing. Um, have you had a chance to look at Invasion of New Phyrexia? Yeah, this is one of my favorites. That's where I wanted to go. You read go my ahead. mind. I'll read it. I'll let you talk about it. This okay. is Evasion of New Phyrexia. X blue white. Uh, it's got six. I keep wanting to say loyalty. This one <laughs> technically does have loyalty, though. We're going to get there. Uh, uh, six defense. 
When Invasion of New Phyrexia enters the battlefield, create X-2-2 white and blue knight creature tokens with Vigilance. So actually pretty good so far, right? Like that's an okay front end. The back end is a Planeswalker. It's Teferi of Zalifer. Uh, it's going to be have four loyalty, a plus one, draw two cards, then discard two cards unless you discard a creature card. Minus two, you get an emblem with knights you control get plus one plus zero and have ward one. Uh, and then minus three, tap X creatures you control. When you do, shuffle will target non-land permanent and opponent controls with mana value X or less into its owner's library. This one's interesting, Ross. This one seems pretty powerful. Because you yeah. can do all these abilities immediately on Teferi, by the way, too. Oh, yeah. Um, so it's not like, you know, a, a true ultimate. My one sure. worry with this card is the defense is quite high. The defense Six is high. Is Here, here's another thing, too. You don't get the immediate value from the minus two on the Teferi. If it's like the turn you've attacked the the invasion, the battle down to six, you'd be like, okay, well, I'm still going to want to do this, so I can. So I'll do it now. But like, you don't get to attack immediately with it because you've probably attacked that turn to kill the battle. But that's fine, generally, in the spot. Yeah. You can cast this on two and get no value on the front just to you know, maybe start attacking it immediately if you had a one yeah. drop. Um, yeah, that's you know. the thing you could do. If you have a two one, like that's, you're getting pretty far out ahead now. Yep. And the end, I do think the Planeswalker is relatively powerful. Um, you know, the, the minus three doesn't seem great to me, but it's nice to have the ability to interact. This is obviously going to be played in a deck with a ton of creatures, so the plus one should generally be draw two, you know, discard a shitty one drop. Um, and the, the emblem is pretty powerful as well. So there is a lot of um, incentive to for your aggro deck to kind of ignore your opponent and go after the siege. Um and then, you know, it's a strong late-game card itself. So it feels like a card that gives an aggro deck a lot of staying power because if you play it early and you can attack attack it down, you've got this powerful Planeswalker. If you draw it late, you just cast it for a high X number Eight. and make a, a billion tokens. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, I'm generally a fan of cards that give aggro decks more staying power, and that's probably f- something that is necessary in the you know this standard format with the power of cheap removal and all the cheap card advantage that the mid-range decks have access to um i'm just thinking about this like through all the spans of the game even like night decks like if you just play this on turn three if you're like one drop two drop one turn three make a two two give you this battle attack the battle like yeah if you're if your opponent like can't block or can't block well like they're really far behind at that point like that's a really scary kind of instance you go so like I'm liking this one a lot. And how do you feel about it in like non-knight decks? Do you think you need to have like a creature deck? It needs to be in a deck that can really attack it to make it as good as possible. It, it definitely needs to be in a creature deck. It def. Uh, I don't know if it needs to be in a like super dedicated knight deck. I think you're going to have some knights that sort of come along for free, in addition to just the tokens from invasion. So you don't need to go super hard to play all knights in your deck. Um, but you definitely need to be creature heavy. Um, sure. And then yeah, that makes sense. The, the other thing I like about this too is is it's pretty hard to like stop these sieges with blockers because even if you have to chump attack one or two creatures, the value you're getting back is uh is especially with this Deferi, uh is quite val is you know is quite powerful. So you could recoup that card advantage pretty quickly, and now your opponent probably has to attack your Teferi, and that you now you know, which is gonna free you up for uh, attacking them once the siege is transformed. So uh, I like this one. I know that, you know, the, the, is it, it's not knights that's in standard right now. Didn't they just like make a bunch of soldier theme? I think it was soldiers, but are they yeah. soldier knights? That's not but, a thing, right? They're never both, right? Or almost ever both. Yeah. Because it's, it's, it's race class, right? I mean, they might've gotten sure. rid of that system. Yeah. I'm not sure. Let's, let's see. Um, yeah, th- that part is weird because I'm, I'm pretty sure that everything was, was soldiers and it was those sure. colors. So you're sort of like teasing them, right? Right. Okay. You're like, <laughs> no. Well, um, a- a- Adeline's a knight. That's good enough. That's good enough for me. Yeah, <laughs> sure, sure. That's all Adeline. we need. So, all right. Uh, so, uh, yeah, not, not a ton of knights in, uh, sure. Uh, in this set. Uh, do you want to talk about the, the red mythic one? Cause I, I kind of come around the red mythic one a tiny bit. Have you seen uh, this one sure. yet? It's Invasion of Tarkir. It's one in a red. Uh, it's got five defense. It says, when Invasion of Tarkir enters the battlefield, reveal any number of dragon cards from your hand. When you do, Invasion of Tarkir does X plus two damage to any other target 
where x is the number of cards revealed this way, x can be zero. So I don't know if you want this in like mono red because you just want to get your opponent dead as fast as possible. When I say mono red, that kind of deck, you know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. And then it turns over into a flying trampling 4-4 dragon. It says whatever dragon you control attacks, it deals two damage to any target. The thing is, is like, this is one in a red, put a battle, you know, on the other person's side, shock something. If X is zero, it's two. So like, if you don't have a dragon, you still get the trigger, right? I'm not reading that wrong? Yep, yeah. I, I agree. I, I like this card quite a bit. I think, yeah. you, you know... You don't need to play dragons with it for it to be good, but you, you can, you know, mm-hmm. if you yeah. just have some incidental dragons in your deck, you know, being able to turn this into a three or four damage spell, um, you know, however so often is quite valuable. Most of the time on turn two, two damage will do you. Yeah, it's like, you know, kill their two drop or whatever, uh, deal two damage to something, deal two damage. Like, are battles like legendary? Like, do you have more of them than one in play? Uh, you can, they're not... So you can you know, shock another battle? You know, that's, if, if another Invasion of Targir is in play? You know, I have a feeling that if that's true, Invasion of Targir is with targets. It, it another Invasion of Targir quite quite yeah. often. So, And I, I think this is clearly better than like Oath of Chandra and Yorian decks. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. I think I think that's really cool, the fact that you can go back and forth on those, unless the three... Oath of Chandra is three, right? Uh, No, it's it's two. Okay, sure. I was say, so definitely a cool one that I could definitely see getting played. Oh, no, Oath of Chandra is three. What's the one? I'm thinking of Omen of the Forge. Sure, right. you're thinking of Omen of the Forge when it was, because that was the standard version, right? Yeah. There's something like that, so yeah. Uh, were there any of the battles you want to talk about? I want to talk about, like, you know, literally all of them. I want to make sure we can get through a decent bit of the spoiler here today, and uh, I don't want this episode to go too long. I have something to do after this episode, <laughs> but they're 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 kind of cool. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm digging these. Um. Let's do Invasion of Ikoria. That's another really cool one uh, that X, has, just has a lot one, of flexibility. Right? Okay. Yeah. Sure. So, okay, so everybody at home, this is X and two greens. got six defense. When Invasion of Ikoria enters the battlefield, search your library and or graveyard for any non-human creature card with mana value X or less, put it onto the battlefield. If you search your library this way, shuffle. It turns into an 8-8 with reach. For each non-human creature you control, you may have that creature assigned as combat damage though it weren't blocked. This is the one you want to talk about, Ross? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Well, it's really big. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking of seeing your pick. It was like, the way you the look at your face, I was like, am I reading the wrong card every year? Like, you had this look at face, and you're yeah. like, well, it, guy go burr. Creature go burr. It's, yeah. It's really big. It's, it, this is a card that provides devotion. If you want to play it in like, mono green and pioneer, True. Uh, True. you're generating, you know, card advantage ostensibly. Because the front side is putting another creature onto the battlefield, and then you've got this siege that you can turn into a gigantic eight-eight, and then uh, you know there's sort of um, it's it turns the corner really well. You know that that thorn elemental ability. You know, yeah, you've you've probably you know ignored your opponent's life total in order to get the siege down, but your next attack is effectively unblockable and is going to be for an enormous amount. So um, I'm a fan of this one. I like how flexible it is. Um, You know, you can just cast it on turn three and get like a Llanowar Elves if you want. And now you've got three Devotion added to the battlefield across multiple permanents. You can cast it at, at, you know, X equals equals three, like five mana, and find an Old Growth Troll and suddenly you're five Devotion up. I would definitely be trying in that deck, but I also think it, it's it'll be, you know, interesting to see what you can do with it in in standard. Yeah, uh, I know not, non-human is a bit of a restriction, but I'm sure there's a lot of powerful cards, and the games go long, so you'll have you know opportunities to cast this card at you know X equals three, four, five, uh, and uh, you know maybe take advantage of, of a pretty cool toolbox. Speaking of devotion. I'm going to get into at least one card or two that has a chance to really be possibly a player in Mono Green Devotion, or at least something you can you can consider. And let's start off with Pelucanos Reborn. Have you seen this one yet? Yeah. So it's green, green, green for a 4-5 of reach. I'm already kind of in on this card, Ross. So triple green, 4-5 reach. Uh, six and a Phyrexian white. Transform Pelucanos Reborn, activate all as a sorcery. The transform version, Ross, I'm a, I'm a big fan of this. Got reach and life, we'll get it to 6-6. Six, six. Whenever uh, 
uh, Plugo's Engine of Verona, that's the name of this one, or another non-token Hydra you control dies. Create a 3-3 green and white Phyrexian Hydra token with Reach, and a 3-3 green and white Phyrexian Hydra token with Lifelink. So it turns into Worm Coil Engine. Here's the other thing. The green deck's already playing Layer of the Hydra, right? Yep. So we just have a Hydra in our deck already. This is a really cool, another thing for you to do with all of your mana when you have a bajillion mana. It can maybe help you with, like, some of the aggravats. So you're like, well, then here's a fucking Reach Lifelink 6-6 Worm Coil Engine thing, you know? And it's a good way for you, you know, to have just another mana sink into your deck. I don't know if it replaces Old Growth Roll, but you should at least think about it. Like, this is this card's pretty good. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think it replaces Old Growth Troll just because it's, it's much easier to answer, and that is, you know, the the most important aspect of Old Growth Troll, but it is a powerful card. Um, you know, it's just a question of whether or not you want more than four three-drops, um, and, and maybe you do. You know, the deck has, like, two flex spots in it. Maybe you just, like, you know, make yourself more consistent in the early game, and it's not like you're sacrificing that much in terms of late-game power because of the, the you know... Uh, transformability on the cards, so I could definitely see Mono Green going that way. It makes the deck a little bit more aggressive, probably better against things like Lotus Field, um, which you know you wouldn't think of a sort of mid-rangey creature being that good in that matchup, but just being able to come out of the gates with a four-power creature on turn two as often as possible is definitely important in that matchup, so yeah, I, I like the card. Um, I could see it in like a Mono Green deck in Standard 2, is just like your bread and butter three-drop in, in that aggro deck, so um, it, it has a lot of potential. Uh, another card that I kind of like. Have you seen Blood Feather Phoenix in this set yet? Is that the two drop? Yeah. Yeah, I like this card too. I just read so, that one today. Yeah, one in a red for a Phoenix with flying. It can't block. But it says whenever an instant or sorcery control deals damage to an opponent or a battle, you may pay red. If you do, return it from your graveyard to the battlefield. It gains haste until it fair. Here's the thing. Have we read a two drop version of this kind of effect before? Because like that's actually pretty sweet. That it's a flying two two for two. Like that's yeah, that's good enough for like your modern red decks to play this card and not be embarrassed by it, and then have like a lot of uh because like this still plays on par with Chandra's Phoenix from back in the day without it having haste, because like playing it on turn two, you're still getting in the two damage on three, you're banging a less of a mana commitment, and then when it comes back, it still does the Chandra Phoenix thing. You know, it's still got haste and stuff. So I actually like this card a lot. I think this card's gonna be possibly a big player standard if red is good at attacking. Yeah, I agree that it's I think it's better than some of the cards that are in the red deck in standard now. That yeah. deck already has eight burn spells in the main. Maybe you play more with this card. Um, you know, and if, if we think about the ripple effects of the new battle mechanic or battle card type, much like Planeswalkers, this is going to increase the value of evasive creatures because it makes you know, the battles harder to protect. Um, so that, that's another thing in, like, Archangel Elspeth's, you know, favor as well. But this card is very good at attacking down battles, um, you know, and uh, giving you that value uh, in a way that's difficult to stop. Because if your opponent, you know, that they, they have to get a, a flying blocker down, if they don't do that, a removal spell on the 2-2 is just going to let you generate value by using your burn spells to bring it back. So, uh, yeah, I think this is a, just... A very good aggro card, and a particularly good aggro card if attacking sieges is at all important. Absolutely. Uh, was there any other cards that you were particularly interested in before well, I start like moving on to other things? On, on that theme of attacking battles, um, I'm I think a maybe an underrated card is Boonbringer Valkyrie. So this is a three white white four four angel warrior. This is where I was going, by the way. Is it okay? Yeah, because I wouldn't talk about the ability. So go yeah. Ahead. Has backup one, the one of the new keywords from this set. Uh, reminder text is, when this creature enters the battlefield, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature. If that's another creature, it gains the following abilities until end of turn. And this one has flying first strike and lifelink. So let's talk about one thing real quick with this. Before you go on, I'm going to let you I'm yeah. gonna let you finish. Sorry. At worst, this is a 5-5 five, five flying first strike lifelink 4-5. If you have no other creatures in play. 5-5 five, five for it. That's what I'm saying. Five five. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because it, you can put the counter oh, four, on itself. Four or five. That's okay. I, I put the, it is a four four, but it puts the counter on itself if you have nothing else. So at yeah. its worst, it's just a bane slayer. At its worst, Ross. Yeah. At its best, it's a four four with all of those abilities that then gets to, you know, pump another creature and give that creature flying first strike and lifelink for yeah. the turn. 
So he gives an evasion. Uh, very good at bat, like like you said. I think it's going to be extremely good at killing battles if you have those in your deck, or just racing your opponent at an absurd rate. Yeah, incredibly good at racing. I think, I think this card is probably better than um, the like you know Baneslayer and Lyra that people play in Azuri's control sideboard sometimes. You know, because he, with with Shark Typhoon and uh, and the Wandering Emperor, you just like. And on Castle Ardenvale, you often yeah. just like have a creature lying around. Yeah. Being able to, you know, jump it and give it go immediately gain some life um in a matchup where life gain is, you know, gonna be important. Um, you know, is it's just good. So um yeah. I think this card's obviously bonkers and limited, um, you know, impossible to race, but as I said, like very good at attacking down battles. You know, if if that's what the if you're gonna you know, play that sub game, that mini game when a, when a siege is cast and your opponent is turtling up to protect it. You know, this is a card that is going to get you that value, going to you know, get, uh, you know, deal the last three points you need in order to defeat the siege and transform it. So that that's a card that uh, that that I've got my eye on because I think it, it's in this set for a very specific reason because it plays well with uh, that card type. Sure. Um. For me, for next, there were two white uncommons I wanted to talk about that I think are going to possibly show up in Constructed, if you want to go for that real quick. The first one, Elspeth Smite. This is an instant for a white. It deals three damage start attacking a blocking creature. If the creature would die this turn, exile it instead. This is a very solid sideboard card. If stuff like that red deck are very good and you're in like a blue-white control deck, you're just like, all right, kill your Phoenix, all right, kill your Phoenix, all right, kill your Phoenix, or just whatever. You will trade this for any early card and exile it, which could be very impactful against like, what is it, a Phoenix Chick? And yep. the new Phoenix, these cards that keep coming back or that have some value being in the graveyard. So I think that card is a very solid player for sideboard. And then the white one behind that, I'm talking about is Seal from Existence. Have you seen this one yet? The O-Ring? Yeah, though for one white white. Yeah, one white white. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, exile target non-land permanent opponent controls until this leaves the battlefield. It's, it's O-Ring. But here's why I think this one's a little bit better. If, if, if you need this kind of effect, this one has Ward 3. And that's like, pretty absurd actually because like most of the times if people have a way to kill an enchantment against you it's like a one two or three mana card now you're making that a five or six mana card or four mana it's just taking up their entire turn that is no longer very good or it's like a creature that has it tacked on you have like a viridian shaman or four mana like creature that hey it kills one of these things as well because there's a chance we see enchantment removal become a thing as well uh, in, in the future, so uh, I, I apologize. Maybe not. I first of all thought the battles were enchantments for a second, but maybe yeah. there's a card that says destroy target battle, in, you know, enchantment or artifact or something. But silver existence. If any of those effects are good again, if there's an enchantress type thing or whatever, blah blah. blah this is a just pure upgrade. I mean, I just did commentary for a standard tournament last weekend, and it was won by an enchantress deck. Yeah, exactly. So like just <laughs> saying, this is a pure upgrade. Yeah, I do think that the ward really makes that card so yeah. much better. Um, and, you know, in like the, the model white devotion deck in Pioneer, that's an upgrade. Uh, there's there's some places where you, you'll definitely want to. I could even see playing, you know, w one or two in the sideboard of Pioneer humans. Mm -hmm. Being able to deal with any kind of permanent it, in the right metagame, of course, you know, is a, a valuable thing. Absolutely. Uh, to, just some more uh, housekeeping here. Two really cool reprints so far that I've seen in this set. One, Stokes of Flames is back. Maybe you saw yeah. that. For everybody at home, it's two red-red. Uh, Stokes of Flames deals two damage to any targets in instant, but it has Convoke. And then the other one is a uh, a card that I, I, I'm a big fan of in a, a lot of stuff, and that's Monastery Mentor. It's two and a white for a human monk. It's a 2-2 two, two of prowess, and whenever you cast a non-creature spell, create a 1-1 one, one white monk creature token with prowess. And this one specifically says non-creature spells. So it's not just instant sorceries. So your battles, your enchantments, anything like that, your artifacts, this monster monk is going to go nuts. Your planeswalkers, this thing's going to go nuts. Yeah, and uh, th those prowess tokens are also very good at attacking sieges. So another card that yes. plays pretty well with uh, yes. the siege mechanic. Yeah, huge, huge fan of Monastery Mentor. Were uh, were any of their other ones? I mean, like, uh, we could also do a whole. We're going to have to do at least two shows on this set. There's oh, going to yeah. be so much. There's so many. We haven't even got into the like combination multicolor cards I think we should maybe hold off on that you know there's like Zergo and Ojitai Bobergabas and Thibault that's Finn. one of my yeah. favorite cards in the set so far is Zergo yeah. Ojitai yeah and we can get into that later too like I, I 
we start going down that line, we're gonna have like a four hour episode. I've only got time for like a one hour episode today. But is there anything else that kind of jumped out at you from the cards that we were looking at? Uh, yeah. Let's talk about Halo Forager. All right, tell me about it. So one blue black three one fairy rogue with flying, and when it enters the battlefield, you may pay X. When you do, you may cast a target instant or sorcery card with mana value X from a graveyard without paying its mana cost. If that spell would be put into a graveyard, exile it instead. That's now, any graveyard, right? Yeah. Uh, so looks somewhat similar to Arcane Proxy, which is a card that's kind of fallen flat. But the fact that it says any graveyard is a big game, so it's a lot uh, like it's a, a lot more flexible. The the fact that the body is flying is super relevant could potentially contribute to the Rogues deck in Pioneer. That's a deck that I think is like close to viability, but needs a little bit more help. Um, maybe this card is the card that helps it. Um, and I think also pretty good against the Cascade decks in Modern. You know, your opponent plays uh, a Living End and returns all their stuff. You cast Halo Forager, Forager recast their Living End, and sort of undo everything. Um, you know, rhinos, they make some rhinos, you make a 3-1 flyer and a couple rhinos, and suddenly, you know, you're ahead on the exchange. I think particularly good against rhinos. Um, so th there's, there are some things to like about this card over Arcane Proxy. Um, and, uh, you know, it, the, the flying body is definitely also relevant. Like just, a, just a much bigger threat probably is going to meet a removal spell a lot. Obviously vulnerable to Ren and Six, but you've gotten a, a card's worth of value out of it. Um, and then in standard, you know, just recasting things like Cut Down and, um, you know, d different removal spells in a format that's a lot about, you know, uh, reasonable two-for-ones and just kind of piling those up uh, can also be very relevant. You know, you get to, you know, cast soul transfers from their graveyard and do cool stuff like that. Um, you know, this is the kind of card that I like. So it might be a little biased, but I hope it sees play. I like this kind of card too. Uh, big fan. Uh, love creatures that like, especially like this card again, great and limited. You know, three one flyer for three mana is a playable card in limited. It's like an evasion. It could you know kill your opponent. It's a good threat. But like, top decking this late, pretty great. Also, just you know, a lot of stuff. Even in like some pioneer spots, this card for four mana is a lot of value. Like, can you imagine Halo Forger just being a four mana card and thought seizes your opponent? or it has Fatal Push attached to it, or it has Consider attached to it. Like, you're talking about a much different card, and you're pretty excited about that. Like, what if it just had it on there? Like, four mana, flying, you know, this is, like, and then it's just choose one. Thought Seize, Fatal Push, Consider. I'd yeah. Be, I'd, I'd be pretty down. I'm, you know? I'm definitely down. Yeah, I'm, I'm in. This is, like, the new Vendillion Click type, like, variant. So, this is a card that could be pretty cool. Also, another cool one to blink, Ross. We get some, some sweet blink stuff, but that's going to happen a lot when you're making a lot of cards that uh, just have a lot of text on them. Uh, cool thing with a lot of text on it, they finish the sword cycle in this set. So sword of once in future costs three mana. It's an equipment. Uh, enchanted creature gets, uh, sorry, equipped creature gets plus two, plus two. It has protection from blue and black. So whenever equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, surveil two. Then you may cast an instant or sorcery spell if mana costs two or less from a graveyard without paying its mana cost. Then it's equipped in the graveyard, exile it said, equip two. There's a lot of ways to cast stuff out of our graveyards in this set, Ross. Like, just give us Snapcaster. Like, I'm, I'm, um, you know, we we got Halo Forager instead. I, I I think we're long past the point where swords are good in you know constructed formats without ways to cheat them out of the battlefield, like Stoneforge Mystic. So, um, but nice to complete the cycle. Um, this one as like a. I'm trying to think of like if there's a matchup where you would even want to side sideboard it, but um, probably not. Definitely seems good and limited because you're gonna have just like two mana removal spells in your deck, so being able to recast those is great. Um, but all the swords are good there. Mm. I'm just kind of I'm kind of happy the cycle is done just so we can end the speculation on whichever ones were left. Yeah, apparently. So that's yeah. what I'm saying. Someone was writing that. All right, Ross, a few more uh, multicolored cards here. I know that you're a big fan of both of these. Let's start with uh, Glissa, Herald of Predation. This one is a 3-5 for three black-green. It's a legendary creature, Phyrexian Zombie Elf. Yeah, it's a mouthful. Uh, at the beginning of combat on your turn, choose one. Incubate two twice. Transform all incubated tokens you control. Or Phyrexians you control gain first strike and death turns until in a turn. So this is a five-mana 
three five. And when it comes to play, just makes two incubate two tokens immediately. So you get like a ton of value right away. And then if you have a bunch of these in your deck and you've been making a bunch of incubation incubation things, you can transform them all right away. So like there's a lot to like here. Yeah, feels very siege gang commandery. You know, oh, you get sure. your three yeah. five, you get a couple of other tokens. Um, but those tokens are really relevant if Glissa sticks around. You either get to, you know, keep making more and go wide, transform them all at once. Giving them all first strike and death touch until end of turn is going to make combat a nightmare for your opponent. This is a card that that dominates combat-oriented matchups, and those happen quite a bit, uh, you know, in, in standard. It's about definitely unlimited. Um, so, uh, and five toughness is relatively difficult to kill, um, and it, this is a card that they, they have to kill pretty quickly. So, um, you know, they do have a little bit of a window if they can kill it at instant speed, because you got to go to combat before you get the, the first trigger. Um, but that's a relatively small window. Not that hard, you know, when you're both tapping out in the, you know, early to mid turns of the game to find a window to land this and at least get a little bit of value. Uh, right. And once you do, you know, you've... Anytime you've got a card that provides both immediate value and then cascading value, if it sticks around that combination is really powerful. So that jumped off the page to me uh, about Glissa and then the fact that it dominates combat. Love both of those things. And the other one was uh, Quintorius Loremaster, right? That you wanted to talk about? The, yeah. the red-white legendary creature, Elephant Cleric. All right, it's a 3-5 of Vigilance. At the beginning of your end step, exile target non-creature, non-land card from your graveyard. Trade a 3-2 red and white spirit creature token. And you can pay one red-white, tap this, sacrifice a spirit, Choose target card Exile with Quintorius. Uh, Quintorius. You may cast that card this turn without paying its mana cost. If that spell will be put into the graveyard, put on the bottom of its owner's library instead. Remember, this card does have Vigilance, so you can do the whole like attack activate thing as well. Uh, this, this card does a lot of stuff for us. Yeah, once again, if they don't have the answer for it immediately, you're generating a bit of value They're with dead. that first end step trigger. You've got a 3-5 and a 3-2. You can play some defense. And you can set up some really dirty things with the sacrifice on it. You know, cast some really expensive spells. I always think of Magma Opus now. And Opus mm -hmm. is very easy to get into the graveyard um, and start doing some dirty things with it. But really, I just like the idea of a 3-5 that keeps making 3-2s every turn. Yeah. For not a, like for rewarding you for playing Magic. It's kind of like Monastery Mentor and the fact that, like, I'm going to be doing this stuff anyway. Why would I play this card? Also, this makes me think that there, there might be a Jeskai deck kind of looming around this. I've seen a couple things here that, you know, if we, if we got the stuff to put it together, I'm waiting to see some of the comments and uncommons from this set, you know, if we get a little more filler. Like, I'd love a reprint of a card like Electrolyze or something cool like that, like some card yeah. that helps us dig through our deck while doing extra stuff as well. You know, and stuff, so that would be really cool for these sets. So, uh, definitely on the lookout for some deck like that. It might be getting me to play a decent bit of standard, I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, yeah, there, there is, I mean, that We've barely scratched the surface oh. at this point. We're definitely going to do another show uh, of previews. But so far, like, I don't really... I, I I understand the sort of, like, flavor of the set is the Phyrexians are invading everywhere. It's... it's we're So, they're doing, like... I know you didn't watch the movies, but they're doing, like, what Marvel is doing right now, too. They're doing, like, the multiverse thing. Like, there's this, like, huge threat. I'm assuming at the end of the storyline, like, Jason the guild pact, all those people are going to show back up or like the fairies going to show up and be like, Oh no, redo everything. You know, like they're going to somehow save everything. It'll be cool. I'm assuming. Yeah. But that they're it, the, the, that makes it difficult to me to like see where the internal synergies of the set are because you know, they're, they're, they're working on like, you know, 15 different planes that all have mm -hmm. different themes to them. Right, different creature types, things like that. So yeah. there's not a lot of like unifying aspects to it. That's why uh, you know, I, I was made sure to bring up the note about like, you know, playing with battles, because that's where like that's sort of an internal uh, you know, dynamic that I think will be important to understand. And there there's not going to be as much of that in this set as in previous sets, because it's uh, you know, it's kind of all over the place. Um, but that does, you know, create a lot of, you know, a lot of variety in the the cards that we're seeing. Mm, absolutely, hundred percent agree with that. I am. I will say this. I, I think this set's cool. I'm, I'm a fan of it so far. I am looking forward to play standard. I definitely want to try out battles. Like they said, that these are cards that I can subjectively think about and be like, oh, this looks powerful. This looks cool. Until I see them actually in action, it's hard for me to really get it. There's tons more for us to talk about. Like you said on another episode, you know, there's an Omnath that's all the colors. 
in this set. So we finally get like, you know, the, the full on Omnath. There's a whole bunch of those combination cards. We'll talk some more stuff about, about those. Um, before we go though, uh, we'll try to get the next episode as quickly as possible. Hopefully when some more spoilers come, might have to be without me next week. We'll see. I am going to be out of town for three or four days. I've got the RC coming up in San Diego next weekend. Cause we're actually, we never, you talk talking about this. We're, we're filming this. We're recording this Thursday night at about 5 p.m. right now. My time is 6 p.m. Ross's time on March 30th. And I have to be in San Diego for the RC. So does Brent as well, our lovely editor. So we'll see how everything works out with that. We might have like a day when it gets recorded, but it might take a few extra days to get out. So we'll have to see with what everybody's plans are because Brent has, out of the three of us, has the most normal day job to keep him busy as well as doing this on top of that stuff. You and I are a little more flexible in our time. And yeah. So, and I physically have to be there in San Diego for, for, for three, for three days. It's going to be a wild weekend. I'm like flying in for like Friday afternoon. I'm like leaving Monday, like right at the event, but I'm there. Like I'm going to be on the whole like three. It's going to be wild, man. So <laughs> looking forward to that though. Should be a lot of fun. And, uh, hopefully we'll get another episode out for you guys, for you people as quickly as possible for that. If not, it'll be right after that. Cause I'm going to be tired. Not want to do anything else other than sit around and talk when it's over. So Ross, good episode. This was fun. Uh, I like this set a lot. What's your initial impression? Um, my initial impression is I have no clue what you're, cards you're are going lost. to be good. This you're might be, lost. All right, cool. this might be the hardest set we've had so yes. far to make like a top eight list for, uh, I actually think we should try to do it because I think it's going to be difficult and it's going to be a lot of fun to see how, like, just how wrong we are. By yeah. the way, I'm going to find the card in the set that's a lot of colors and has the most words on it. Just put it on my list because we've been, we always miss that card. Like we always miss the tracks that we always miss Omnath because we just like kind of, we're used to those cards being bad and now they're yeah. just good. So we'll have to see uh, when that happens, but look forward to that and we'll get to you all as soon as possible. Thanks for listening.